I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Blake Anthony Carter. Uh, Blake is a passionate and genuine human being, but uh, also a real estate professional. Uh, he's the co-founder of Cribs, a full-service turnkey company for short-term rental and co-living investors. Um, Cribs helps the clients find per- find, purchase, and renovate, design, manage properties all in-house. So I'm going to I'm gonna stop there, Blake, because I think uh, there's a whole lot of actually really cool stuff in your bio that I'm, I'm hoping we'll get to talk about in yeah. detail. Um, but first, before we get started, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for taking out the time. Um, I know it's, it's early for both of us today, but uh, good time to have, have good conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, why don't we start with just ha- having you tell us your background, give us your story, and then and then we'll, um, you know, from there we'll get into, you know, what you're doing with Cribs and everything. Um, yeah, my, my story, um, man, essentially I've been in real estate for my, my entire life, actually. My mom was a uh, partner in a successful mobile home retail and flipping business, and this was pre-2008, and did that for several years. And as a kid, I grew up around that and learned the ins and the outs of lending and how to rehab property and how to sell things to people and how to communicate to people. Uh, And it was a huge learning lesson to be around that as a child because they would literally just have me in the the office and I would be doing like schoolwork or whatever, right? Uh, And that was a huge, huge learning experience for me. And after 2008, um, from a series of unfortunate events they essentially lost the business and our life was flipped upside down we um all of a sudden uh we're having to couch surf and um find housing where we could uh you know we, we we had a great place that we were living and that was just not within the means anymore and so for a period of about two years there was some real pain in in our lives uh trying to make it, I suppose, make it out of the recession. And that was really cool to experience as a kid, uh, getting to see my mom go from hero to zero and then build her way back up now to, to hero where she is now. Um, that was a huge learning experience. And that also made me really scared of real estate, having gone through that as a kid, having, having seen my mom go through that. Um, and so for many years, I was very, um, I don't know how, how I'd word it, but I was not interested in getting into real estate, even though I knew so much about it and I was naturally interested in it, but I didn't want to, uh, or I, I, I suppose I had a bad taste in my mouth from that. Um, but I, you know, I was always drawn by it and eventually after working in property management for some time, I decided to just go all in on real estate, um, decided to own that passion that I had inside of me for real estate and um, 
I have worked in several different areas of the industry. Um, I, like I said, I started out in, in property management, just working as like a leasing agent. Uh, and that was a huge learning lesson for, for me as well. Um, and I moved my way up in that world really as much as you can. In my last position held, I was the national leasing director for CWS Apartment Homes, which is like one of the largest syndicators in the country. Uh, and they would just send me to properties to like fix problems, basically. Just use, use my experience if they were having issues with occupancy or renewal rates or really whatever. Um, because I had had that experience, I was able to go and figure those, those things out. That was a huge learning lesson. Um, and eventually got my real estate license and decided to just go all in on working for myself. We started our company Cribs, um, it stands for Creative Real Estate Investment Business Solutions. And we started that out of the, um, the struggle that I saw people having with wanting to invest in the area that I'm in, in Austin, Texas, uh, but not being able to cash flow. And so the only kind of people that were really investing in Austin and I'm sure it's similar to like LA are people that are buying these properties and are willing to just sit on negative cash flow, so they can hope that it'll that they can bank in on the on the equity, um, but that wasn't the solution for most people. And so, um, it started off working in what we call co living, uh, which is basically where you rent out a house by the room. Uh, I'm sure you see that in LA as well, yeah. and. Uh, and then we got into short-term rentals as well, um, just through working with clients and seeing that there was a need. Um, it started off, I was just helping them find the properties as, as their real estate agent. And then we were helping them manage them because we were the only people that were doing anything like that at the time. Um, and then after that, uh, my partner, Jeremy, who's the co-owner of the company, He's extremely skilled in design and really management. He, he was a property manager at a pretty high level um, for a bunch of properties downtown. And at that, that's what he was doing at the time. And we decided to go all, or we, we decided to go together in this. And uh, we realized that we have what it takes to kind of make the company turnkey for our investors. So people are able to come to us. Um, we can help them find the properties, purchase them, uh, do all the rehab and re renovation we have several con con construction crews that we work with. Uh, and then even more than that, uh, we help them design and furnish the property and then manage it on the back end as well. I mean, it sounds like, sounds like a great and, and realistically needed business model there. As you mentioned, you know, so some of these, um, you know, I guess Austin's not quite as big as LA, but, but Austin has been so hot now for a number of years and, and really, really experiencing a tremendous amount of growth so the you know what used to be a place where people went for affordability it's not really yeah it's true <laughs> it's not really there anymore um well i mean really interesting interesting story in that you know you say you've been in real estate your whole life and like quite literally seems you've been in real estate your whole life and most uh you know that's that's not true for most of the guests that i have on the show most of us come you know by way of some other path um, and, and maybe have something in, in your background that sort of um, at least planted the seed. But it sounds like, you know, your your mom was was a big inspiration for all of it. And, and interesting to kind of live through that 2008 financial crisis as a as a kid mm -hmm. impacted by, you know, <laughs> 
your parent being in in the in that you know real estate space so yeah. it, it's a pretty unique perspective um in in having been through that and i i i suspect that also maybe as a kid couch surfing and things like that might have in way been fun for you while it may have been a struggle at times but if like staying with friends and things like that i think sometimes when you're young you think yeah. that's cool um but also obviously had a an impact on your on your decisions going forward and probably always will um the you said you sh you said that you sort of shied away had a bad taste in your mouth about real estate but but though you went and worked as a property manager so it it was kind of like so much what you know that that you know you found the the avenue in it that felt safer maybe um well it's 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 also like who 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 we knew right like at the at the time when i initially got into property management which which by the way if anyone's listening to this and is interested in getting started in real estate i think property management is a phenomenal like entry in, into the industry you can learn so much about real estate through that avenue but um regardless uh we had so many connections in real estate because that's the industry that my mom was in for so long uh and when i left high school i was my, my first job ever was water and fire damage restoration so houses would like flood or catch on fire and i would i was like the labor that would go and like did demo the house and carry all the crap it was actually <laughs> put terrible. on a hazmat suit uh, yes <laughs> Sounds yeah like it was horrid. a terrible job yeah, it was horrid. And so I was like, yeah, this is not what I want to be doing. Um, I wanted to get into some kind of sales role. It's like really, really what I thought I wanted to do. And then um, we knew people like in the property management industry. And so I was able to make that connection. That's just how I got started. And as uh, I went down that rabbit hole, I was like, man, like I'm good at this real estate thing. I understand how to talk to people and just kind of grew from there. Yeah. And it, I mean, it makes sense. It's what you, what you saw, you know, kind of growing up, you have, you know, good examples of, of success in that area. Got hit by a hard time in the market, but regardless, it, you know, it, the, the techniques and methodology isn't, isn't different when the market's yeah. different. It's just, you know, you just got to be maybe a little more careful, I guess. But um, so T tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the process with Cribs. Like if I'm an investor, I want to come to you and, and um, you know, set something up. What what would you, what would that look like for me? What, what would you, you know, kind of be coaching me on? So we're, we have calls every week with, with people that come to us and have money that they want to invest um, specifically in the Austin or surrounding areas in Texas. So with us, it's like, like I said, we take you through every every step of the way. So people come to us, they are interested in having real estate in this area because they know it's a high growth market. Um, and based on their situation, based on like their cash position, um, their risk aversion, uh, a bunch of different factors, just like after learning their story, we can kind of figure out what the best avenue is and what their what 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 their buy box looks like if they don't already have one um so it's figuring out that and then really like we have a ton of connections with um off-market properties wholesalers um and, and so we we do a lot of deals that way uh we do a lot of stuff on on market especially now we're, we're getting a ton of really good deals on on market right now but um uh, after we we find the property um we 
we basically start start getting um i'm, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've had this experience in what you do but we, we we start getting bids for rent renovations as soon as we're under contract right so we'll, mm -hmm. we'll get three to five bids typically for whatever rehab and rent renovation is needed um after those after that bidding process is done and we close on the property excuse me bless you we try Thank to you. have um we try to have the renovation started with within a week of closing on the property. Um, and those renovations, like we have different levels of what that looks like, right? So it could be anywhere from just getting it cleaned up, um, you know, fixing a couple doorknobs, like a small make ready all the way to, yeah. we've done $150,000, $200,000 renovations on just a, a single family home. And so we do all, all, all levels. We have people for all different things. Once it's after that, or once we're finishing up that rehab process, we start the furniture process. We start ordering. We start putting together like their design package. Um, once once all that is approved, we start ordering furniture. We start designing it. That process usually takes about three weeks or so. Once it's furnished, we 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 go live. We have a whole slew of checklists that we work with, um, just through learning the best process of how to make this thing happen. And so, um, like our, our our average time from close to going live for our, our short term rentals is about 75 days. And that's only because okay. typically we're, we're putting a higher level of rent renovation into those properties, especially if we want to make them more profitable. Uh, for our co-living rent by room type properties, our average time frame is about 30 to 45 days, depending on the level of rehab that is needed, just because with, with those properties, they don't have to be as nearly as nice. So right. um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's literally, we hold their hand every single step of the way that they come to me, you know, I have conversations with people, Hey, I have hundred K that I want to invest in real estate. You know, what's the best way to allocate this? Uh, and we're able to help them through that process. Can you just for listeners, can you define co-living kind of what that, what that looks like? Yeah. So people, I, I think maybe, maybe mostly obvious, but I just want to make sure people understand what we're talking about. Yeah. It's literally renting a house out by the room. People do it in different ways. There's a lot of people um, that will do like high-end co-living yeah, or they'll, they'll uh, specialize in working with travel nursing um, or they'll specialize in working with like digital nomads, things of that nature. But uh, specifically we, we do about 90% of our properties are um, like a standard house that is rented out by the room. We furnish the common areas. We don't furnish the bedrooms we provide Wi-Fi, all the utilities. We clean the house twice a month, um, and we take care of the lawn. So they literally pay the same amount every single month, and they don't really have to worry about much other than just take, taking care of their life, right? So it's a really cool deal. One because um, we can offer this awesome affordable housing opportunity to people, which is really needed in Austin. I mean, rent growth has been like 20, 30 percent year over year in Austin the past couple, two, three years. Um, and so it's not affordable for people now to just get like a studio or a one bedroom apartment, especially if their work is downtown somewhere or, you know, in, in the city where they can't afford to live. And so we have rooms or we have these houses with rooms all over the city and we can offer this really awesome affordable housing opportunity. It's professionally managed. It's clean twice a month. It's well taken care of and people love it. Um, on the flip side of that, it serves our investors really well because they're able to cash flow, right? Yeah, um, and it has kind of the similar economy of scale uh, as, as multifamily. Um, 
not quite the same way, but right. I might have a house that is five or six bedrooms. And just because one person moves out, we're not at zero versus if you're doing a standard long-term rental, you have one house, someone moves out, you're literally at zero income with rent by room. You have a lot of that scale, uh, that kind of capture as you have vacancy. Yeah, sure. No, that, that makes sense. So are you, you, you said you're furnishing the, the common areas, not the bedrooms. Are these, you mentioned kind of the nurse thing. Are you trying to, I mean, I guess you can get really creative with it because you, mm-hmm. you can have different rooms be different. You know, if someone wants to stay for, they want a year long lease, they can have a room for a year long lease, or they can, if it's one of these traveling nurses and they're there for three months, they can be three months. I guess you don't even have to kind of keep it all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is that, or, or do you try to keep it the same within a, a single household? Yeah, so different people run their properties differently. Um, the type of rentals that we're doing um, are advertised mainly to young professionals, people that are in town for like contract work. Um, we, we do get some travel nurses, but for the most part, for travel nurses, you need to be within really close proximity to a hospital. Yeah. Um, and so we only have a couple of properties that are like that. For the most part, we're signing six month plus leases. And then we actually allow them to, to, to go month to month. Because uh, a lot of the benefit of the co-living type model is the flexibility of it, and so we do the initial six-month lease. We started when we first started, we we did, we did three-month leases, and then we were like, "Man, we're having to turn these house, like we're having to turn these rooms over like a ton." Right. Uh, and so that just wasn't efficient. And what we've also found with six-month leases is if we can find someone that's there for six months and they're willing to be there for six months and they like the property, they're probably going to stay longer. Versus someone who's there for sure. three months, um, you're going to have to turn that over and over. Um, we have done some rooms that will furnish and just advertise to like travel nurses or traveling professionals that are just there for a month to three months. Uh, and you can get higher rates on those for sure, but your, your turnover and vacancy might be higher as well. And so we look for most of our rooms are, uh, like just standard rentals. We have the same, um, type of, uh, requirements as you would for like a regular rental. We have a minimum credit score. We you have to make a certain amount of income, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have well-qualified people in these houses. They, they take care of the house. We take care of the house. Um, and they're paying pretty good rates for these rooms um, where like I have investors that are cash flowing $500,000 a month on these rent-by-room houses. And, that, that, and that's in Austin, Texas, which is really, really difficult to do. And that's, that, that, that's from the beginning. That's not assuming you know, rent growth over the next few years. Right. Right. No, I mean, it, it sounds like a great, it, it's, it's not, um, you know, I've heard, heard about people doing it in these, in these bigger cities that are just, you know, the, the costs are too high to really, to really cash flow effectively, um, yep. in a, in a, you know, long-term type rental. Um, what are the, what are the re- rental regulations around Austin? Maybe it's different in, you know, by neighborhood. I know some cities, even it varies by neighborhood, but, um, you know, typically those, those midterm rentals, they don't put a lot of regulation on, but when you start to talk about doing short-term rentals, what are those? And obviously these can change, but what are you seeing yeah. in Austin currently, as far as, um, regulations for your short-term rentals? So short-term rentals, um, obviously regulations in that, in, in that industry, in that world are a very hot topic. In Austin specifically, um, it's essentially outlawed to be a 
investor owner of a short-term rental in like the city limits of Austin, mm-hmm. people still do it unpermitted. Uh, it's just very risky. Yeah. Uh, not, not something I recommend that my investors do, but um, basically in the, in the city limits of Austin, it's essentially completely restricted. They, they do have what's called a type two permit, which is where you can, uh, if, if it's your primary residence and you want to make that a, a short-term rental, you can get the, the permit to do that. Um, there's a lot of people that will come and they might live in LA, but they'll make their primary residence in Austin just to have a short-term rental in Austin. I have a, okay. a, a few investors that have done that. Um, but a lot of our investors are having a lot of success in like the suburbs outside of Austin. Um, we do a lot of work in the ETJ of Austin, which is like basically outside the city limits. So you're not, yeah. you're, you're technically in Austin, but you don't have the same restrictions. Um, so we, we look for properties in that area. Um, but we're also looking for like emerging markets around our area. So we have a lot of like lake and um, river areas that do really, really well for short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. Um, and the market may not be as saturated in those areas. And so we're starting to look for deals out there. And um, for us, it's always constantly chasing like where where, where the next boom is going to be. And so we have a, a few tools that, that we work with to, to try to find that. Uh, but right now we're we're finding our best success um, both in in the realm of avoiding restrictions, but also really good cash flow or a good cash on cash um, in the suburbs in the ETJ of Austin. Yeah, a lot of this, a lot of cities have gone to that. You know, kind of you have to. It has to be your residence to have. I know uh, Atlanta just enacted that as well. You have you've some. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have two short-term rentals one of them has to be your primary residence and they're all they all have to be permitted and, and obviously people yeah. do it anyway but yeah you're, you're taking taking a risk a risk of i don't know what i don't know <laughs> i don't <laughs> haven't actually heard of what happens if you get caught uh with a short-term rental other than they might make you stop doing it but um yeah i don't yeah know and it's like it's fines what, or yeah that, that's the thing right like there's not at, at least in austin you know, they, they really try to crack down on it, but I think there's something like 2,400 permitted li- uh, short-term rentals in, in the city limits of Austin. And there's something like 12,000 listings active right now in the city of Austin. So yeah. it, a lot of people are doing it without permission and the city doesn't really have an effective way of shutting that down. Whether that's okay. good or bad is not for me to decide, but uh, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they would ultimately they'd have to create some sort of policing arm for short-term yeah. rent. It's probably just not worth the expense of doing yeah, it. Yeah, literally you have to it's make a like, whole yeah. section for it. I think, I think they, they, they create those regulations probably to make whoever doesn't want short-term rentals around happy, make it look like they're, they're doing something. And if they catch someone obvious, they find them, but like realistically it's, it's, it would be a hard thing, I think, to, to really, I don't know, control, um really cool well let's let's switch gears Blake I want to get the chance to ask you the questions that I ask every guest um first one being uh, based on the name of the show that is know your why and and so my question for you is, is what is your why what what drives you forward um, towards bigger and bigger success um so I would say my why really comes from a want and a need for freedom um that i i think we we spent some time 
growing up as a child um, where we were completely uh, like we were completely restrained by the uh, restrictions that other people had on us, whether it's because of income or location or just circumstance. Um, and that really made me desire to have my own personal freedom in my life to be able to decide when, where, how, and who. Uh, and I talk about that a lot in my life. Um, uh, but really what, what drives me, and I wrote about this, um, is uh, like this crazy insatiable, uh, um, what is the word? Uh, competitiveness. Competitiveness I have. My, my dad was a football coach growing up, like he's a, he's a high school football coach. And he really instilled in us this like really heavy level of competitiveness. It was, we, we were three brothers. I was the youngest and it was always a race or who can lift the most or who can carry the most groceries inside. Um, and we played a, a, a ton of sports, obviously. Um, and that competitiveness of any situation I find myself, I want to win even like it's it's actually probably unhealthy right like I'm, I'm i'm at the grocery store and i'm like trying to beat this old lady to get to this block of cheese or something but uh but from from a business standpoint it's actually helped me a ton uh, uh because in the like best nicest way possible like i want to beat everyone else at, at, at the same thing right like i don't necessarily wish them ill but i, I want to be better than them uh and so that's that's really helped me a ton uh, that's like my main drive, I would say. Very cool. Yeah, I think con uh, productive competitiveness uh, is a very, very effective tool um, Yeah. in anything, sports, life, business, whatever it is. You know, I think it's it can be really very beneficial. Um, typically, my next question is tell me something about yourself that people don't know, but I do, I want to... Uh, have the opportunity to, to have you tell us a little bit about Serve Inspire, because I think that's yeah. a, an important thing, um, I, I assume, to you, but uh, but I think it seems like a, a very important thing. So I, I want to um, just ask you to talk about that. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, so when, when, when we went through what we went through, um, spending the, the, those two years, um, we, we, we were deemed homeless by the, by the city of Austin due to having unstable housing and un unstable income for those, for those two years. Um, and you can't help but have a ton of empathy for people when, when you go through something like that as a kid. Um, and you can see it on both sides, right? Like I, we, we were doing very well and then we were like literally doing, uh, we, went, we were literally deemed homeless, right? And so having seen both sides, you can't help but have a ton of empathy for other people. And I developed a real passion for the homeless. Uh, I've always really, really cared. I always had this thing in my head. You know, I, I didn't really care if they were grateful or not. I, I just wanted to help people. And um, it all, like the backstory for, for Serve Inspire, which I, I'll, I, to add context, is is a nonprofit that my, my, my mom and I started um, the, the backstory really starts whenever we, um, whenever we were just coming out of, out of that bad time, I guess you could say, um, it was my mom and I spending Thanksgiving together. My, my brother was there, uh, but a lot of times it would, it would just be us two or, or us three. And, um, 
we would make this full Thanksgiving meal. And because I don't actually like Thanksgiving food, I wouldn't eat it. And so we would just, uh, we would just go give it away uh, to, to the homeless, like a lot of people do on Thanksgiving. And that started like a little tradition where uh, friends and family would join us, that they would bring food to give out and they would start bringing supplies and clothes like year over year, more people showed up, they would bring more things. Um, and after several years of doing that, my mom and I decided that, hey, we should make this a real thing. Uh, and so we started to host multiple events a year where we were giving away not just food, uh, but really like a lot of supplies and necessities, clothing, you know, deodorant and soap and, and uh, backpacks and sunscreen, uh, just like a lot of like really important necessities to help these people survive. Um, we formed, we have officially formed our real 501c3 a few years ago after having done it for several years before that, just like, you know, as a volunteer organization. Um, and we started a board and now we're working towards being able to offer um, free mental health care uh, to people that, that are in those circumstances uh, to help them really get out of it because we don't want to just enable them to be in those circumstances. We want to actually help them improve and get out of those circumstances for, for, for people who want it. And so um, that's one thing that, that we, we've been really, really working through. Um, we, we, we've had a slow year this year because Cribs has taken off. Um, but over the past six years, we've, we've grown a ton. Um, and it, it's something that's like super, super special to me and important to my mom as well. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I, I'm in LA and I know Austin has a similar narrative in that there's, you know, this huge homeless, huge homeless problem, the homeless crisis. It's, you know, with the, with yeah. the elections, it was like everywhere. I get really frustrated with hearing that because what I think most people think is the homeless crisis is that you can see them. Yeah. And that's a really good point that the, the homeless crisis is not that they actually care about the homeless people. It's that I, they don't want to see them out on the streets near them and stuff. And I, I often make the point, like I'm originally from Boston. We had homeless mm -hmm. people there too. But if I was going to be homeless, I would live in Southern California or Austin or someplace where it's nice to be outside, right? So it's yeah, no kidding. It's not like I, it's a problem, and but I think the focus is on the wrong part of the problem, but but not for what you're doing. So um, I think that's that's really special and and important. So uh, yeah, thank thank you for doing that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's that's a a great cause, and I, and I. <laughs> It's nice to to hear that uh, when I I do often get frustrated hearing about this homeless crisis that people want fixed but don't actually want to do something about it and they want they just don't want to see it. I think it's really the the, that's, the main problem. That's a very good way to say that. Um, so again, thank you, thank you for what you're doing with that. I think it's it's very important work. Um, when people hear this and they are uh, want to reach out to you, what's what's the best way? What's the best way to get a hold of you? What's the best way if they want to get involved with uh, Cribs and, and getting themselves a um, income property? Yeah, I mean Cribs. Um, the best way to re reach out to us is you you can contact us via our website. Um, it's cribsconsulting.com, and then we also are an, on Instagram at at Cribs Consulting, um, and then my Instagram is Blake.Anthony.Carter. It's my full name. Um, 
those are really the, the best ways to get a hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, all the things, um, social media. And uh, yeah, if, if, if people want to get started with Cribs, we, we have a, a contact form on our website that people just s- submit their information, usually call them within the next day, um, and we can get the process started. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Um, final question for you. What is something, a piece of advice that you would give someone uh, getting started in real estate? What, what would you tell them to kind of help them uh, get going and, and find success like you have? Um, pick one route and just stick with it. I think a lot of people tend to have, um, I don't know what the, I, I'm struggling with. Shiny object syndrome. One, but Shiny object. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people have shiny object syndrome. And the the best thing you can do is just pick one avenue and go forward with it. It may not even work out as the right one that, that you want to move, move forward with. I mean, I explored several different avenues of getting into this real estate thing when I first started. Um, and I didn't really blow up in, in the business until I was like, okay, this is all we are going to do. And now that we've done that, now, now that we've focused on, on, on one thing, uh, we, we've been able to expand, right? Like we, we, we started with, with just doing sales and property management. Uh, we grew into other avenues. Um, we started doing our own investing, flipping houses. Um, and now we, we just did our, we just did our first multifamily syndication. We did 14 units in Canyon Lake that were turning into short-term rentals. Um, but that was not my focus when I first started, when I felt fo- our focus, when we first started was doing what we're doing and just making that the main thing. Yeah. I think it's a really great point. I think it's, I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in, in shiny object syndrome. I, I think, I mean, it's, and I think be, the reason is because especially in real estate, like there's a lot of really cool things you can do and a lot of really good ways to make money. And so it's, you know, easy to jump around. However, none of them are going to be successful overnight. So your point about, you know, sort of picking one and sticking with it and then expanding from there is, is a great one because I think it's just, you gotta, you gotta give it time to actually see that it works, see how you feel about it. And then, and then if you want to make a change, fine, but give it, give it the chance to be successful and be what you thought it might be in, in one particular niche. Yeah. I think, I, I think patience, patience is important and, um, that's something that a lot of people struggle with in our day and age of instant gratification. It's something that people talk about often, but like multifamily syndication, for example, like what you guys do. Um, I know a lot of people that got started in that world and didn't do their first deal for over a year, maybe two years, right? Yeah. And it's just constantly making offers, talking to people that you can partner with and doing all these things, having that vision. Um, but if, if, you, if you would have stopped doing multifamily six months in, and was like, I'm going to be a wholesaler now, you would have never gotten where you're at. Right. Right. No, it's totally true. And, it, and yes, it takes, <laughs> takes a while, takes a year. And it, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's going to take, you, you might do a couple together and it might take another nine months or something. I mean, or, it's just, you know, another good piece of advice, I would say that really worked for us was work for free or work, work for cheap. Like if, if you want to learn, um, our very first ever like management client, we, uh, we did like probably 70% less expensive than we are now, like on our, on our feed. And that's just because I wanted him to say yes. You know, I wanted him to, I wanted him to want to work with us. And that was our only value proposition at the time. 
right. you know, now, now yeah. we actually know what we're doing, right? But a lot of people um, want, want to make money now, or they hear people talk about how much money you can make doing this. And uh, I agree, and there's a lot of ways to make really good money in real estate, but you're never going to learn if you can't actually get the business and no one's right. going to pay full price for someone that doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to get going. There's a lot of ways to yeah. <clears throat> break into the business, different, different avenues. And, and also, like you said, you can work for free, work for cheap, you know, go the apprentice route, whatever, whatever you need yes. to do to get yourself yeah. in there and get the education and then having the patience and the, you know, kind of, uh, persistence to, to stick with something and, and go after it, you know, kind of full bore. So yeah, all of that, I think is, is phenomenal um, advice. Well, listen, it's been great. Uh, it's been, been an awesome conversation. I do very much appreciate your time. appreciate you having, having you on the show um, and all that you shared. And so, uh, so thank you. Thank you for being on. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. Um, everyone listening, uh, when you hear this episode, I'm sure you're going to love it. Check out cribsconsulting.com. And if, if you would, uh, please like, rate, and review the show. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.